Before we start this episode, I would like to remind every one of our listeners to please go vote. This is the most important election our democracy has ever seen, and it is critical that you make your voice heard. We would employ our listeners to vote with kindness, decency, and respect to others. Because in the words of the late, great John Prine, your flag decal won't get you into heaven anymore. Thank you and enjoy the show. a comeback story. We as human beings are fascinated with the concept of accomplishment, whether it is professional, personal, or menial. It is a reflection on the will to not only survive, but thrive after facing hardship. In the songwriting community, it is a concept which brings forth a wealth of subject matter to put a melody to, especially since any kind of musical success is inherently plagued with the hardship of being an artist. Now combine the idea of the struggling artist with a combination of struggles of faith, family, sexuality, and drug abuse. Initially, it sounds like a lot that most would admittedly be unable to actually handle, let alone come back from and make a career from. But we have one such artist today as our guest on Americana Podcast. Waylon Payne has faced it all. Son of country songwriter Sammy Smith, author of hits such as Help Me Make It Through the Night, and son of longtime Willie Nelson guitar player Jody Payne and godson of Waylon Jennings, one may think Waylon Payne's road in the music business was paved with gold. But it's quite the opposite. Waylon's path was paved with addiction and abuse as he bounced around. But he has come out on the other side as one of the songwriter scene's most prolific and artistic of writers. Despite the 16-year gap between his own records, Payne has contributed to the likes of Charlie Robison and Leanne Womack. His way with words is a skill the romantics would be envious of, while he still maintains his own humanity enough to not only share his story in his songs, but also break the hearts of his audience in the turn of just a few phrases and his cripplingly beautiful voice. Today on Americana Podcast, Waylon Payne speaks with our host about his long road from country music royalty to his acting career, his hardships, and his personal redemption in the wake of his latest record, I'm your producer, Clara Rose, and this is Americana Podcast, The 51st State. Now I'm back from the grave, I'm among the living, look at all of this light and life and love that I've been missing, my heart of stone has been Hello all and welcome to Americana Podcast of 51st State. We are proud to say that we are now part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network. I'm your host Robert Earl Keane and today's guest is singer, songwriter, and actor 
Waylon Payne. Welcome, Waylon. Thank you very much. How are you, Robert? I'm doing really well. We, we uh, have a lot of stuff going on, and this this part is the, my favorite part is doing these kind of things and, and talking to great artists such as yourself. So, um, well, thank you, you very much. I'm really pleased to be here with you, sir. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, Waylon has a new record, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but there's a, first a couple of things I want to know. Um, before we get started really on that, uh, can you tell us about your love for big American cars? I love big American cars. I can't stand, I, I, I like, uh, my mama used to drive me around in, uh, these great big cars back when I was a kid. Uh, she was always on the road. And so like summers, you know, from three, four, five, we were always in the back of some great big car and I just love them. Uh, my first car I ever bought was a 1964 uh, Cadillac DeVille. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a drop top. I, I'd got that record deal with uh, with uh, Republic, and they gave me a little money, and I bought that car, and she was beautiful. Her name was Dina. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you name them all? I name them all. I do. Yeah. I name everything. I name, I, I'm really attached to stuff, but uh, she was awesome. She was awesome. And now I have a car named Jewel, and she is my dream car, really, because I've wanted a Lincoln Town car forever and uh, finally got myself one. I've seen that one, and it's a good-looking car. She has been a good uh, steward of the road these past couple of years. She's taken us everywhere. I've not had a single problem. I'd had a Cadillac before her that was uh, that I got in a, in a sweet little deal, if, if you will. <laughs> but after I got down the road, it like started, it would smoke so bad because there was something about something dripping on a something. And like, <laughs> I would go like, you know, to the grocery store and it would smoke for, it was really ghetto. So, uh, I, I bit the bullet and, I, I, I found Jewel and she's been my sweetheart ever since. So when we met, you sang or hummed all the time while you're walking and talking, and it's uh, you have an incredible voice. And I was wondering if I'm not putting you on the spot too much, and you can indulge me to sing a piece of a song a cappella, you know, something that you might just just a line or two. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm in this gospel phase right now. Uh, this gospel singer Cynthia Clausen really shape some stuff and she would sing this song my faith has found a resting place not in device nor creed i trust the ever living one his wounds for me shall bleed I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. She had a great voice. I like that song. <laughs> let me wipe. Let me wipe away the tears here for a minute. Wait, uh, Don't that cry. Was, that was that was so beautiful. Well, that thank so you. Beautiful. Yeah. I love yeah. gospel music. Um, you know, I was I was not raised with my parents, Robert. I was mm-hmm. uh, I was raised early on from a young age with my mother's brother and his wife. Mm-hmm. And um, early on, they they brought uh, my aunt was very religious. We were Southern Baptists, and and during my formative years, you know, as a teenager, when I started wanting to 
be rebellious, which I never was. I mean, my idea of rebellion was like probably staying out till 1030 if I was supposed to be home at 10. You know, it was like nothing really bad. I fell in love with country music, but in that household, it was reminded, you know, my my mom wasn't thought very highly of at times because they thought she ran around with a bunch of hippies and wasted her life. And so I was not going to be uh, that. You are not going to, you're not going to do what your mother does. And you're certainly not going to do what your father does, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, but gospel music, the church, when I found gospel music, well, that was a, that was a, that was okay. I could, uh, I could sing anything. And so my, you know, along with, you know, my heroes in country music, which I were, was born around and raised around who were like family, I got this whole other side of people, you know, some of the first folks I listened to, uh, if you will, and, uh, where I learned how to rock, you know, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. Amy Grant, Amy Grant, Mm -hmm. uh, Gary Chapman, uh, Michael W. Those were folks that I listened to a lot growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. Sandy Patty real, if you were a great singer or you're a great storyteller, uh, there was something about the music that, that would draw me in all the time so mm-hmm. um that was my only outlet for a while and boy i really i really found some really rich stuff i mean mm-hmm. i'm not too religious per se i guess i have real weird uh feelings about it mm-hmm. but i do believe in an afterlife i, I mm-hmm. believe there's something there because i feel mm-hmm. my mama around me a lot mm-hmm. yeah and uh, your mom and your mama was sammy smith who uh, had she the sure me- was she had the mega crossover hit Help me make it through the night, right? Yes, sir. She did. Yeah, yeah. great. And you're singer. and you're also the son of uh, Willie Nelson's longtime guitar player Jody Payne. Right? Yes, sir. I am. And your godfather was Waylon Jennings. Uh, yes, sir. He was. So yeah. I've seen where some have said that you were really country music royalty. Is that is that? I call you? myself country music royalty, and I don't really, I don't really uh, shy away from it. I'm very proud of the blood that is in my veins. My uh-huh. You know, my my mm-hmm. mama helped build this town uh, mm-hmm. of Nashville that I'm living in right now, and right. and uh, daddy uh, daddy played in most of the bars. <laughs> <laughs> God bless his heart. Yeah. <laughs> and I got all the trouble I'm ever gonna need. I got all the trouble. I'm ever gonna need I got oh, oh, the trouble that I'm ever gonna need And I just don't want no more So, uh, can we circle back around and talk about your new record, Blue Please, Eyes, The Harlot? absolutely. It's called Blue Eyes, The Harlot, The Queer, The Pusher, and Me. Yes, and sir. For me, it's really inspirational because hearing personal accounts of triumph over hardship makes everything authentic to me. I, I, I was, I was really taken aback by how clear you were about how this affected you as opposed to, you know, songs about, you know, do this, do that. You gotta, you know, let's all be happy and kind of thing like that. I mean, it was uh, definitely bittersweet. And so um, I want to know about how the concept and how the recording evolved. Well, um, that's pretty interesting. I, I, um, uh, I have to tell you kind of a little bit of a story to go along with it. So um, it is no secret that I, I have uh, 
had a rather uh, epic uh, experience with with drugs and alcohol at times in my life, and for a long while I was on a really bad uh, amphetamine methamphetamine bend. I was I had uh, lost my mom and was in a relationship that I didn't need to be in and he was a big user and and it just kind of you know I had been partying with my dad for years and that was one of our bonding things we met when I was 16 and started hanging out 17 18 we would uh wake up in the mornings after a gig and uh on the road we'd we'd go down to the bar and get a drink and we'd probably have done some speed or something before we left the room just so we could get in tune it was just a rock star kind of a life and he had you know I'd gone through some things in my in my uh, teens nobody could really deal with and uh, that was what kind of started me on this path of numbing if you will it was like a it was like a snowball that was coming you know and uh, when mom died and left I was just I was just absolutely freaked out it just was it, it was devastating and uh I didn't want to feel anything because my I was lost and I made it to I was living in Nashville and I somehow had called Corey Morrow and uh, he and I had known each other for a few years uh, and uh, he always was a really good guy uh, to me just uh, a, a really happy guy funny um, and we he and uh, there were a few of us down there that just became tight friends. And um, Corey, I reached out to him. I don't know why, but I did. And I was like, I need some help. I'm in trouble. And maybe you could help me get some dates uh, down in Texas because I need to get out of Nashville. So he had set up about eight or, or nine acoustic uh, shows for us to do over the course of a couple of weeks in Austin. And I had had junkies living in my house. I didn't have any power. I had no water. A friend of mine showed up on my doorstep to drive me to Texas uh, to do these dates. And when he did, I, I left Nashville with my guitars and the clothes on my back, and I, I never went back to that house. What started was a, a time in my life that, that I guess I'd needed for a long time. I got to Austin on July the 24th, 2008. I met Corey's best friend, Edward Johnson. Edward, I just latched on to. He's like Superman and... and uh, for some reason, he just he tolerated me, and and uh, we became very very good friends over a really quick period. There's nothing romantic. This process started with Edward about uh, kind of helping me get my stuff together. And once I got down to Texas, everybody realized I was in pretty bad shape. And uh, long story short, I uh, never came back to Nashville. I stayed in Austin and started putting my life back together and it took a couple of years to get off of the meth and then once I did that I moved into a, a house with some friends of mine you know my friend Sue Ann she's about 70 and and she was like a watch watchdog you know a watchful eye over me and so I couldn't I couldn't party anymore and plus by then Edward had had a child named Lake and uh that baby had such a profound effect on me Robert I I uh I I just uh, I knew that he was going to know me. And know? this is the this this is relates to the verse in the song "Sins of the Father." Yeah, it sure does. Well, the whole thing relates to the whole thing relates to it. The whole album is about, I, in a way, 
um, the fathers but, and but sons. But your friend, your friend and his and his son was is that part? Yeah, of that's that that's about Edward. Yeah, that's yeah. about Edward and Lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once Lake came along, and I realized that I needed to have myself together, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I put the I put the needle down, and I I, I never went back to it. And mm-hmm. these songs all came from the time I started getting sober, uh, and Lake coming along. Mm-hmm. I, I started seeing changes in my myself. My buddy Edward made me pick myself up. He made me be responsible, and you know. Hey. So your record uh, encaps the new record encapsulates really m- most of these in- experiences, and culminating with uh, say uh, "Back from the Grave," which is def- definitely a you know. A- I, I call it Waylon's redemption song. There. Well, yeah, I mean, the, it kind of follows the album. Kind of follows a story, uh, if mm-hmm. you will. It starts with the sins of the father song, um, and and you know, it, it's it's about the the way this all went bad. I, I do believe that there were a couple of father figures in my life that were not the best, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of them scarred me for life and the other tried to help me fix that but didn't know how and kind of did the best he could but that ended up scarring me a little harder you know right so, and so um once i got myself sober though uh you can't run from that stuff anymore and you begin to see things clearly i mean it takes a minute because you know uh there's so much uh covering it up but once you have eight or nine years under your belt you see things pretty clearly and, and you've been able to fix them. And, uh, it starts with, you know, realizing that you're, you're in trouble and, and, uh, and, uh, where it came from and, and it takes you through where it went and the dangerous criminal aspect of yourself being the, you know, the bad guy and the, and the, and the loss of of daddy when he died, that's about what a high horse that's, that's what that's about. Um, right dead on a wheel, uh, you know, that, that's just about basic human kindness. You know, I, I wrote Mm -hmm. that out in Los Angeles right before Lake's first birthday. I had gone out there to try to, uh, stir up my acting career a little bit. And I got stuck out there and was working a job, working construction. And, uh, I had to walk like 15 blocks every morning to and from work. And there was a billboard going up. And at this time, uh, you know, Lindsay Lohan was going through a lot of a lot of real bad stuff. You know, remember about twenty eleven or twelve, and mm-hmm. you couldn't turn on the TV without seeing her, and it was something this, something that, and, and I felt like they were in you know in Hollywood. It's a lot different than Nashville. In Hollywood, there's a lot the vampires and stuff are a lot more uh, unsuspecting. You don't see them coming as fast, and uh, right. man, they just they were just after her and. And I, I went through that ringer too. I felt like I'd gone through kind of an experience, not as hefty as hers, but I definitely had a Hollywood experience that was kind of whatever. And Dead on a Wheel came for Lindsay, you know, and that yeah. was that was fresh into being sober. Right, um, right. And, and then all the, all the Trouble, which is considered your single or your emphasis track that came, first came out on Blue Eyes, The Harlot, The Queer, and The Pusher, and The Meat. Yeah, that's a that's that came afterwards. You know, there's a there's a there's a part of uh, the record that's uh, that's the the uh, I guess the hypothesis, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which right. was uh, you know, sins of the father, uh, dead on a wheel, right. uh, um, what a high horse. Right. Trouble was written after I came back to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of a reflective song, as was Back from the Grave, Precious Thing. 
Um, so those were kind of like the resolve that came from it, you know, and all the trouble, man, I wasn't going to even cut that song because Leanne had had such uh, a cool success with it. And, you know, we got nominated for song of the year at the Grammys, which was awesome. But Frank, uh, Frank really encouraged me to put it on there because he liked my guitar playing and, Mm -hmm. um which is not something many people usually say to me um, <laughs> <laughs> you know so it was kind of neat to uh all i know is it since i met in my life well it's never been the same and i sang oh, oh the sins of the father never gonna hang around me no more oh, oh, oh the sins of the father it's time for me to lay them down and let them go oh, oh. Like I said, I'm, I'm drawn to your confessional songs and how they convey your personal feelings of history. And so in 1990, uh, that was a relatively conservative and culturally restrictive time. And that was the time that you came out as gay? Well, it kind of was a dip, you know, it was yes and yeah. Um, it, I had, uh, <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was going to this uh, Baptist college in Oklahoma mm -hmm. and uh, studying to be a minister mm -hmm. and uh i knew i was gay and i'd known i was gay for a number of years yeah technically i was disowned when i came out as being gay uh, but there were just a there was a little bit more than that but but basically uh, i lost my family over it i lost mm -hmm. everybody for a brief moment uh, except for daddy daddy was mm -hmm. the only one that hung in there mama was uh -huh. mama was kind of raunchy to me for a while too but i think that kind of can be written off after years of of mm -hmm. contemplation and, and some therapy with it i think that that's mm -hmm. pretty much a pretty uh common reaction when things like that start getting brought out into the open yeah nobody really knows how to talk about that stuff you know and well, today uh, we've seen um, the LGBTQ artists take center stage in Americana and the country scenes. Um, how are you affected by Boy, there are a lot of them out here now. That's really crazy increase. that you would say that because, yeah. like, I've never, I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'd be a lot farther along if I had, like, done the whole no, I'm not gay thing. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just never really, <laughs> you know, but it's just yeah, never yeah. really been anything that I've, I've uh, thought would be any kind of authentic and, you know, I learned a really powerful lesson when I was 18 uh, and, and like, you know, my family disowned me. There mm -hmm. are people in that family that I never saw again that are mm -hmm. dead in the ground, you know, mm -hmm. um, for, for something I had no control over. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had been raised in a family that had, you know, preached the golden rule. We love you and nothing's ever going to change that, you know, well, something did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, it, it just absolutely crushed me. And I kind of made a vow to myself then I was never going to put myself in a situation where I wasn't respected and I was never going to not be respected for being me. You know what I mean? So I just, right. I orchestrated my life to where it was never a big deal. If you knew me, you knew, and, and we were friends, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's never, that's a gentlemanly way of talking about it, if, if you mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. But I was talking to Randy Clark and Brandy Carlisle at the Americana Awards a couple of years ago. And mm -hmm. I was like, man, you know, I was the lone queer out there for like forever. <laughs> and, and like now there's like everybody in here. It's really great to see some folks, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think it's really, I just think it's a shame that it was ever, 
you know, a thing, yeah. but it has been. Yeah. So are there avenues now to support the LGBTQ movement within like respective music scenes? I mean, I think there always have been. I mean, uh -huh. like, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, and I'm a weird uh, gay dude. I'm not really like in with all of the organizations and the mm -hmm. things like that that you're supposed to be because I just right. don't necessarily be believe that my thoughts uh, are cohesive completely with all of them. I don't believe mm -hmm. in being radical. I believe in accepting people for who they are and respect comes with that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you're a good person, well, I have no problem hanging out with you. And I've, I've been completely okay with, with how life's been going. <laughs> yeah, no, and you should. You've, you've done really well. What a tight rope the one left walks. There ain't a net to catch his fall. But his aim is true, so he's steady on. What a tight rope the one left walks. So can we talk about your writing a little bit? Yes, uh, sir. Your, yeah. I, I find your writing really simple yet elegant. I'll give you an example. Like I love the use of Benedictine liquor in the bottom. I love I love just the image of blue jeans on the floor. This is all from The Drifter, which was yes, your first sir. record in two, 2004. But uh, the blue jeans on the bathroom floor from the song Her. And um, I just, uh, I, I like to kind of dig in and see, are those very conscious decisions and or the editing decisions when you're making writing or do, do they just pop up robert i i honestly am a big fan of uh whatever the first thought is if it sticks around in your head it's supposed to be there uh -huh. and um i don't question things i write i've written songs before that just really took on a uh like a, I'll, I'll be having my morning coffee and and some mornings i just as I'm sitting there, I will pick up a pen and just, I just start writing. Things just come out of my head. And uh -huh. um, that's nothing I'm really thinking about or, or anything like that. But when you go back and you look at it, it's like, wow, I never used that word before. And I don't even know what that word means. But then you realize, whoa, wait, that was the right word. Way to go, buddy. I kind of just have my own way of thinking about things. And I was always encouraged by mama to, she clued in early when she heard the first version of the drifter and, and stuff, you know, we never really, we went through a bad period, you know, for a while where we weren't talking for four or five years. And I moved on to Nashville and started hanging out with Shelby Lynn and um, Shelby Lynn, she has as much to do with my writing as anybody, because we had a little group and we just, she and I would write songs and she brought it out of me. And, mm -hmm. and she was the one who turned the tide on my relationship with my mom. She sent her a bunch of songs that I'd written mm -hmm. and mom called back. She was all in a huff. He didn't write this. What are you, what are you talking about that? My son doesn't do this. And, and she was like, you need to open your eyes. And she told her off and I was at home that Christmas, you know? So uh, mama always encouraged me, uh, to never waver from it. She said that it was a very personal style and I wrote, I wrote very personal and she thought that it was admirable. And so I've never really questioned it. You know, I write from my, from my heart, you know, mm -hmm. her, her was about Shelby Lynn and I having a, a huge breakup fight. You know, we were never anything romantic either, but we were best friends. And then there was mm -hmm. a time when I was drunk and, and just being a jerk and she fired me from the band out in California and 
that's where that whole song came from. I was like, I've lost my best friend and I don't understand what to do. Naturally, mm-hmm. everybody thought that it was about a girlfriend and that, you know, you answer, or, whoa, mm-hmm. I didn't know you and Shelby Lynn were married or what. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you, <laughs> you mm-hmm. don't get it. It's like, it's just art, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and we're talking about the song Her here. Right? Yeah, 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 that's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had wanted to write a song where I hummed in it like my mom. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this is an ah. interesting story about that record. You know my guitar, Thomas, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, Thomas, uh, this was back in uh, 2001, okay, when I, when I started writing the songs for The Drifter. And I lived on one side of Hollywood in West Hollywood, and my pot dealer lived on Hollywood Boulevard proper. So it was about a 25, 30 you know, block walk. And every week or so, I'd get 20 bucks, and I'd go over and get my stupid little pathetic bag of weed. <laughs> and I'd roll a joint there, and then I would smoke it as I walked home. And so one day, I just started this song. I was like, and the first line literally was, there's too much goddamn space here in this dresser drawer. And I was it's, like, that would be... It's a gripper, re- I'll say. It's a gripper. <laughs> like, that would be a really cool line to say yeah. in a song. And, and, uh, and then I hummed the part, and so... I'm walking along and you had to walk past the guitar center to get back to my house. And so I stopped in and I borrowed a piece of register tape and I went into one of their little rehearsal rooms and I picked Thomas up off the wall. Literally, he was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, I wrote that song on it and then uh, put it back up on the wall and went on my way. Well, a couple of weeks later, um, I stopped back in there on the same path because I had started Mama Drive On. And I wrote that there. And then uh, three or four days later, I was on the same path again. And I, <laughs> I wrote the bottom there. Wow. And um, and yeah. And so um, I got my, we Keith Gaddis and I finally did that record. And um, I got these, I got this set of dates with Will out at, in San Francisco at the damn uh, Fillmore. Pootie got me uh, four nights opening for Will. And I didn't have a guitar, and my buddy Wyatt Earp took me to the guitar center, and Thomas was still hanging on the wall, so he helped me get him. And uh, he was the first person I paid back when I got that record deal check. <laughs> wow. Now yeah, that so is Thomas, a- is, Thomas has been with me for a long time, and I really dig him. He's uh, he's my best buddy next that to Edie. That is a Hollywood love story if I've ever heard one. I have lived a charmed life, Robert. <sighs> What I want to say is we can't talk to Wayman without talking about the the acting part of your life. You, <laughs> you were the um, scene stealer uh, playing Jerry Lee Lewis in Walk the Line. It was one of my favorite things in the world to do. Um, yeah? Yeah. It was, uh, it was uh, you know, I'd always wanted to be an actor, always. But who in the world mm-hmm. ever thinks they're going to get that shot? Well, mm-hmm. one day it just happens uh, and it's just as natural and as easy as it seems. I went in to audition for this movie. They wanted, they told it, they told us it was going to be about Johnny Cash and they wanted, they wanted, uh, country stars to audition for, uh, for major roles. And mind you, by this time I, I was not, I was not quite famous yet. 
although uh, Keith Gaddis and Travis Howard and I, for uh, about a year in 2002, had been doing a, a bi-monthly or a bi-weekly, like every couple of weeks uh, or once a month, this uh, country night at this club in uh, California called the King King. And because there was really no, there was a country music during this time was making a real surgeons out there. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, when I got to California and I realized that there were no rules mm-hmm. and a, I wasn't in Nashville anymore and nobody knew me here. So I didn't have to be anything from the past and I let the past go. It was completely freeing. And mm-hmm. when I was 18 and they threw me out for being gay, I picked the toughest, baddest, most awesome dude in the world. And I modeled myself after Chris Christopherson and mm-hmm. I, because everybody <laughs> loved him and everybody, he was the man's man. And like, I, I didn't have anybody to learn from. So I watched him and I learned from Chris Christopherson how to be a man how to walk, how to talk, how to write songs. You know what I mean? I, I, I watched him. So this was, you got all your acting chops from Chris Christopherson. I watched movies all my life. My mama would uh-huh. make sure that I saw great things. Who's uh-huh. Afraid of Virginia Woolf was one of my yeah. favorite movies as a kid. She loved It's a hell of a movie. Oh, it's great. And like yeah. uh, Burton and Taylor, dude, they're like just, yeah. they go for it. And it's so good. And uh, yeah. I love... I love classics. I love James Dean. I love Rock Hudson and Giant. Uh, yeah. I love Marilyn Monroe in The Misfits. I love Clark mm-hmm. Gable. I love The Silver Screen. It gave me such imagination growing up. Acting is something that I always just felt would be really uh, easy. So, you know? so on Walk the Line, how, how do you find that center for that character and not be distracted by everything else that's going on? I love Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm-hmm. I love him, and um, I uh, I knew immediately when they said, you've got this part, mm-hmm. that we were part of something that was going to be phenomenal, and it was going to be forever. It was going to be Coal Miner's Daughter. It was going to be mm-hmm. Sweet Dreams. It, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was going to be mm-hmm. uh, something that hung around, and I have loved Jerry Lee uh, so very, very much, and um, I was I, – I, was convinced and committed at the very beginning to absorb everything I could about him. I felt like we had similar paths and going through the religion and the, and the, and the, mm-hmm. and the struggles with it and the, and the, the loss and the, all he wanted to do was sing and he, and he sang for God at times and it was great. And then he sang for man at times and it was great. You know, I just wanted to, I wanted to do the best I could on that. I, you know, he was in uh, he was in Nashville, um, and I had just found out that I was going to do the movie, and he was staying at the Lowe's Vanderbilt. And I went over and I went to the concierge, and I you know I wrote him a note. I was like, "Hey, Mr. Lewis, my name is Waylon Payne," and told him who I was, and said they're doing a they're doing a motion picture about Johnny Cash, and they've selected me to to portray you, and I. Uh, I just wanted to know if maybe I could buy you a drink and, and talk to you for, you know, just, just visit and make sure I do it, do it right. Cause I'd heard that he absolutely wanted to kill 
Dennis Quaid. Like he he hated it. Oh, he hated that <laughs> yeah. performance. Yeah, and like you know, and Jerry Lee carried guns. He always did for years. I knew that because yeah. I mean that was yeah. just part of it. And I didn't want to do anything to upset him. And never heard back yeah. from him. And we go on and we do the movie. And and uh, we're having a a, a television uh, gala for the life and times of Johnny Cash. And they asked me to come backstage and. Chris was back there and sitting next to Jerry Lee and he introduced me to Jerry Lee who stood up uh, and shook my hand and uh, uh, told me what a fine job I did. And, and it just made my, it made my, it made my wow. life to know that he was proud of me trying to salute one of my heroes, because I think everybody that was involved in that project was there to, immortalize those people and i was mm -hmm. so very very honored to have been a part of it and i did not mind the attention that it got uh and uh didn't mean to steal the scene but maybe i did <laughs> <laughs> what about i read that you learned to play the piano i did do that part really they asked me uh uh as i went back for my second callback um Jim Mangold, the director, he was like, uh, can you play piano? And I lied through my teeth. Uh, <laughs> and I said, yes, I can. And he said, well, can you give me a video cassette of it tomorrow? And uh, I uh, went home and I had a piano at the house. And I, I mean, I knew G and C, you know, I mean, I knew some chords, but I didn't know how they went together. And so I, uh, I, put on I'm not Lisa and I I played along with that song until I could play that song and then we recorded me singing that song and then I did a little bit of great balls of fire I think and but it was also like a ballad because I because <laughs> I couldn't go that fast and uh and uh ended up falling off the stool and I think that's what got me the the role <laughs> well I you know I, I you know I always you know when they do a piano from the hands to the face sort of thing i'm always very aware of like that person's hands aren't that person's face. hey that so, was all on me i had to do that not, one we I'm, all had not, to and no they caught the shot there that that one you could tell you that know? was some sweat oh, you know and of course yeah. i didn't know i'd never made a movie before you know but he was like listen we're going to be on your hands so you're not going to hear any sound coming out of that piano but you have to play that piano you have to hit those notes and you have to yeah. do it exactly yeah. where it's at and Man, it was, you know, that was one that was really crazy because like you talk about throwing the hick into the woodpile. I was there and like, like it was go from the second on and nobody pulls you aside and explains, okay, well, this is what a mark is and this is where mm -hmm. your cue is to come in. It was all, it was very much a study and okay, kid, you got yourself into this. Now you, you either sink or you swim. Mama's going back into the motel room to lay down. You better get yourself out of the pool. Yeah. <laughs> 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 And it was it was it was cool. I, I treasure that. No need to worry about tomorrow, cause you're not there. I'm going on the way. To the bottom. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our interview shortly. 
At Americana Podcast, it is our goal to define and expand on the genre of Americana music. With help from our friend Will Vote, this is Will's Pick. Sturgill Simpson, from his new record, Cut and Grass, Volume 1, the song I Don't Mind. Our friend Will was in Nashville for the Americana Music Awards in September of 2013 when he first heard Sturgill Simpson's debut record, High Top Mountain. After one listen, he knew there was hope again for country music, which at the time had gone to a very dark place in terms of commercialism. Hilltop Mountain was a breath of old, fresh air filled with songs that were populated with real working people who told colorful stories. It had a certain nod to Waylon Jennings, but also plowed a new musical ground. Simpson breathed life into an old genre while also taking it in a new direction, which many of us were excited about at the time, and he has continued to fulfill that promise. With his next two albums, Sturgill expanded his music range dramatically. The release of Meta Modern Country Sounds in 2014, with its psychedelic country ode to mind-altering drugs and turtles all the way down, saw Sturgill edging away from straight country into more rock and Americana music. Next for Sturgill was 2016's A Sailor's Guide to Earth, which found him crossing new musical lines with the cover of Nirvana's In Bloom and an addition of horns on several tracks. Sturgill's latest release, Cut and Grass, Volume 1, The Butcher Shop Sessions, returns him to his roots. It is a record of bluegrass versions of his recent catalog plus several songs from his pre-fame days with the bar band Sunday Valley. All the songs take well to this treatment and the band he assembled is up to task, particularly Sierra Hull, who adds sweet vocals as well as her mandolin to the mix. There are so many good songs among the 20 tracks on the record, but ultimately, Will settled on one of the Sunday Valley covers. Written over 15 years ago and reportedly Sturgill Simpson's wife's favorite, I Don't Mind covers themes of wanting and wandering and looking for love that is elusive. The bittersweet tale of dreams and longing is what makes it Will's pain. If you think you can never love me again, please go ahead. I don't mind. Oh, no. Hey, uh, so Waylon, we're going to move on to uh, the lighter side these are just some general questions beautiful and, uh, and then and then um and then we we have a lightning round oh and, boy uh, and, and then we wrap it up okay that sounds good okay uh is there a type of music that you'd like to write other than country music a type of music that you'd like to write or sing or generally be, be included in i would love to there's an album by my favorite singer bobby gentry it's called patchwork mm-hmm. and it's the last studio album she ever did uh, uh-huh. And it has been my favorite thing since I was two years old, next to my mama. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great. And I mm-hmm. would love to, I hope that this business gives me enough clout to uh, be able to re record that record one day in its entirety uh, oh, as cool. a tribute to her. And I would also love to take over her position in Vegas as a, as a, <laughs> you know, I'm being totally serious. I would like to, I would like to take this opportunity that I've gotten and, and uh, maybe make a make a, a semi uh, regular appearance in the Vegas uh, uh, area. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I'm such a fan of old school production and old uh-huh. school uh, that I just think it would be. Uh, it might not make a, a dime, but you know what? It would certainly be an avenue that nobody would expect. And I I I I can see us at the Golden Nugget 
I've got you a sweet too when we get that run. Don't you worry about uh, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take you up on that. Uh, so, what instrument other than the guitar is your favorite instrument to hear or to play? Mm. I do love twin fiddles whenever I hear them. Uh, mm-hmm. If it sounds like Bob Wills, I, I would dig it. So um, the best show in your memory, best show in memory, um, I would say this would be either your show or one that you attended. The best show in my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It was in uh, Austin mm-hmm. at the Austin Music Hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you remember Pootie? Oh, sure. Oh, Absolutely. sure. Mm-hmm. Pootie was, uh, Pootie had got me tickets to see Etta James uh, mm. at the, at the thing. And I had, I've had, I'd had a love affair with Etta. I'd seen her in concert at least twice a year for the, like the past eight years. And I'd missed a year or two. And this was her last go around, although we didn't know it yet, but, and, uh, he had arranged tickets and I'd gone in there and I never, ever, ever, uh, because I think it's tacky. I, I never play the, Hey, I'm famous thing. But mm-hmm. I happened to see her management, her road, her people over there, and I played the famous thing, and mm-hmm. uh, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't work. But uh, they were like, "Listen, we'll 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 figure out something for you before the night's over. We promise." So, went to our seats to sit down, and I'm sitting like behind the the only pole in the Austin Music Hall, and it's like it sucks, and so <laughs> I can't see nothing. And you know how they have that back bar. Uh, there uh-huh. at the back of the room well yes. at the back of the bar there's a there's an aisle that goes straight down the center and you see center stage and there's a light bulb that shines right down from above your head on that spot uh, at the uh-huh. bar well I got back there and Shay Pootie's girlfriend was standing with me and we were getting a drink and I was just bitching about how terrible it was <laughs> uh-huh. that I couldn't see and I turned around and I put my arm around Shay and we were listening. And from the stage, you hear, that's right. Go ahead and put your arm around that baby girl. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I took my arm away and she's like, no, 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 no. I said, put your arm around that baby girl. And she's singing, I'd rather go blind right now, right? As she's saying mm-hmm. all this. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, me and Shay are standing back there. And uh, I realized that I've got Etta's attention or she has mine or however that whole thing s- went. And Shay went on back to her chair and sat down and Etta and I sang the whole show back and forth to each other from my spot back there in the dark and her spot up there on the stage. And it was one of the coolest, (laughs) coolest nights of my life. It was, it was great. It was great. Man. Uh, So here at Americana podcast, we are forever defining, exploring, expanding the topography of Americana music. Uh, Waylon, do you consider yourself an Americana artist? I consider myself an American artist. Uh, All right. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I'm. you know, uh, Tyler Childers told it like it was on that award show a couple of years ago. It kind of bites that um, mm-hmm. we're not able to be called country music stars anymore because that's all I ever wanted to be. But I'll take Americana. I don't think it's that bad, yeah. you know. Right. I right. think we're well, okay. How about like, you know, can you name me like three what you'd say quintessential Americana artists are that were, you know, uh, you know, with uh, alive or dead. Well, uh, John Prine, Bonnie Raitt, Emmylou Harris, you know, there those, you go. Those would be like the ones that I guess Graham would get in there too. You know what I mean? But I mean, that's right. all country music to me, Robert. I mean, it's like, 
Bonnie Raitt's mm-hmm. not a, a, a rock singer. I mean, she is, but mm-hmm. I mean, she's mm-hmm. a country singer. It's blues. It's mm-hmm. all right. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're, yeah. Robert Earl Keen. Uh, did I say that right? Okay, now we're going to move on to lightning round, Wayland. Okay, buddy. All right, you ready? These are just either or questions, okay? Yeah. Okay. Snaps or buttons? Uh, Snaps. Cadillac or Lincoln? Lincoln. Memphis or Bristol? Ooh, Memphis. At the height of the country outlaw movement, there was a song called Willie, Waylon, and Me. Who was me? Uh, Wasn't that uh, Billy Joe? David Allen Coe. Oh. David Allen Coe. Well, yeah. sorry, David. Like, like Willie and Waylon and me. Okay. Oh, I'm thinking of the other song. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. David Allen Coe. We can cut into that. Yeah. We can cut into that. Uh, Manuel or Nudie? Um, Turk. Turk. Mm-hmm. Tur- Who's Turk? Turk was the original nudie. No kidding. Yes, sir. Did not know that. But I love Manuel mm-hmm. too, and if you want to throw me some jangles, I'll wear them. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, singing or acting? Musicals. Uh, uh, answer. Yeah. Who fronted the Tennessee Three? Well, that would be Johnny Cash. All right. Catering or buyout? Um, well, if we're at that place in Norfolk, Virginia again, catering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Andrew Jackson, the first Tennessean to become U.S. president, was famous for A, raising wolves, B, killing a man in a duel, C, making killer red-eye gravy, D, building a barn out of old hickory. Well, I think that that would be all of them, wouldn't it? <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> Did he shoot we'll somebody in that duel? Was it him and Hamilton? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. no. And, uh, uh, and a guy named Dickinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He killed. He killed a guy. In they a, used in to a solve duel. things so easily back then. You know. I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he killed, he, somebody insulted his wife Rachel, and he and he shot him. Uh, name one of Tennessee's 10 state songs. You Are My Sunshine. There are 10 of Tennessee's state songs. And, and that's not one of that, them? I don't think so. Holy think, smokes. Was it the Wabash Cannonball? I'm not. I, you listen, no. you could ask me about Texas. I'd be great with it. I don't okay. know much about Tennessee. I, uh, look, this was a surprise to me. They have 10, 10 state songs. Uh, one of them is Rocky Top. Oh, one that's it. Is... That's right. I can't believe I yeah. didn't realize that. Duh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I bet, you that's the first, I bet that's the most, po- like, Family Feud, that's a, probably the most popular answer. I just lost. Uh, I, I, I went to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, true or false, the tow truck was invented in Tennessee. True. Yeah. Been invented in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in 1916. That's awesome. Must, mustard or mayo? Uh, Miracle Whip. 
Okay. Oh, man. Man after my own heart. Yeah, there, buddy. buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Martin or Gibson? I'm a Gibson boy. All right. Red Bull or coffee? Coffee. Johnny Paycheck or Eddie Money? You know, listen, uh, I love Johnny Paycheck, but Eddie Money sometimes has me on that two tickets to paradise until he actually <laughs> says two tickets to paradise because it's really cool until he gets to that course and he loses me. But <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Pursuing love labor The matrix, the mire Last, last one on this, meet and greet or hosting an open mic at Tootsie's. Definitely I could get through a meet and greet. Our last question is, is this. We, we here at Americana Podcast believe that it's a tragedy that an instrument as beautiful as the B3 organ is called the B3. And we're looking for another name. So wonder what say ye, Waylon? We should start calling it the Russell. The Russell. And why? Leon. Ah, there we go. Nice. Yeah. 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 Who else played the great... B3? Like Dr. Teeth? Uh, not real sure. Yeah. That's the first time we ever heard that one. That's hey, good that's one. good. If they start doing yeah. that, I'm going to take credit for it. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're about wrapped up here. Robert, it has right? been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for thinking of me. And I, I, I uh, hope we get hope out we of this pandemic soon so we can get on the road some more. Me, me too. And I hope I wouldn't take up much, much of your time, but I really enjoyed it. It was really I good. I enjoyed really, it too. Really good you, stuff. Yeah. Anything you ever need, you just let me know. I'm your Huckleberry All right. pal. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Wayla. <laughs> Bye-bye. At this time, we would like to thank our host, Robert Earl Keane, the American Songwriter Podcast Network, and our guest, Waylon Payne. Americana Podcast is brought to you by Keane Productions. Produced by Clara Rose, mastered by Pat Mansky, with original music by Kim Warner. Until next time, let the music play and go vote.